0: Joe, how special does today feel? Uh, well, I'm not sure. How special is this crowd? How how special was the performance to put 40 points on an all-black team? It's uh, yeah, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by the effort they made. It doesn't get bigger than this. No, it doesn't. But, you know, it's, it's hard to find words.
1: Robbie's try was superb and that just uh just just enough to get us over the line. Hell of a day. Looking dangerous again. The men in green,
2: Welcome to Action Replay Extra Times Rugby Podcast. What a fascinating win weekend of rugby. We had Australia's magnificent win over Wales. We had Ireland's historic win over the All Blacks in Chicago. And really was just a, a fantastic weekend of, of rugby all around. All Australia were really convincing, I suppose, for the first time in a while, Billy. But, I mean, the, the story of the weekend was definitely the Ireland and, and the All Blacks in Chicago.
3: Oh, I pay no attention to what happened to the Millennium Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> History was think, made... So. Like. Where were you when the All Blacks were lost to Ireland? I don't know about you, Jack, but I was sitting in the dingiest pub in Cork, which was actually just quite, uh, was actually just quite frankly scary. I was but, in the um, dingiest pub in loud, so not, really? too, not too different. Oh, Maybe not as scary I as... Mean, we must have as... been thinking about each other. But uh, oh, it was just incredible to see. And the whole experience, it was numbing, and I think I almost missed it. But coming back to Dublin and, and meeting everyone and, and talking to people and, and talking to Brent as, as we're about to, it was just... It was just a phenomenal day and um, my dad was actually over there for the match and he was sending me constant updates and phone calls so it was just a terrific weekend of rugby.
2: Were they uh, intoxicated phone calls or were, they, uh, were no,
3: they... No, they weren't. He was very much focused on the game and um, fair play to him uh, but he, co- I couldn't hear him through the sheer noise of Soldier Field. It looks like an incredible stadium.
2: I'm sure it's an incredible uh, it looks stadium It like like what like is as stadium.
3: Well. But uh, no, I'm very interested for people to hear about what Brent Pope has to say about the match because... It was terrific.
2: Yeah, we've talked about it a couple of times and he's he's always insightful, always got some really good things to talk about. So we'll play that for you now. I suppose, off the emotion of it, it was just, I mean, what a weekend to be Irish. I mean, it, one of these games that we never thought we quite good. I think we always thought that maybe it might happen one day, but we weren't sure when that day would come. I think everyone thought it was going to come three years ago and we're up 19 points at half time, 17 points up on the weekend, and even still, they drew it back to four. We another 20 minutes to play, so... We managed to hang on and we managed to score an extra try. We put 40 points on the best team in the world. A team that has 18 straight wins, two World Cups, best team in rugby, best team possibly in world sport, one of the most dominant teams in world sport. And to beat them in that that manner in Chicago it's going to set up an even better game now in Dublin in two weeks so we'll get into bit that a bit more later but right now without any further ado we have Brempo. what did you think of the Ireland New Zealand game on the weekend did you think that Saturday in Chicago of all the games 28 games 27 losses did you think that Saturday was finally going to be the day where Ireland toppled New, toppled New Zealand
1: no is the honest answer. I think that uh, I was over in Chicago myself for the match, and I was speaking at a number of events with uh, both New Zealanders and, and Irish at it. And I think, you know, I said to them, look, you know, you don't want to. You obviously, want, it's going to happen at some stage. I just didn't feel that it would be at that stage. And I think that's the way most people feel. Everybody can get up and these sort of, um, I suppose, uh, get up in these audiences and say, oh, yeah, this is the day that Ireland are going to win. But if you look at the history and you look at the teams that have gone before and you look at the way that the All Blacks have been playing and you look at the fact that Ireland was probably didn't have that much preparation time, you'd have to say that, you know, everything was pointed against them. Having said that, having been over there for the Cubs match and see what they did and, you know, it's been the year of the underdog, I suppose looking back in retrospect, I always thought New Zealand had a slight weakness and I thought it was... And it's sort of an, an arrogance of selection. I think that losing Brody Retallick and uh, and White was a huge loss to them. I think that trying to put Jeremy Kino in there didn't work for them. But that's all in retrospect. To answer your first question, no, I didn't think. I thought, I thought about 12 or 15 points would have been a, a pretty good result, uh, flying to lose by. But uh, they were magnificent. It's as simple as that. You know.
2: Yeah, you just mentioned Sam White Lock there and Brody Retallick, two massive. Figures in the New Zealand second row, but also two guys that are particularly pivotal when they're defending mauls. Particularly, those guys with Kane going in a natural blindside flanker. It really was an area that Joe Schmidt targeted specifically. Seemed to be going for the the, the line a lot instead of, in, especially in kickable positions, where in most test matches you'd expect them to go at the points. Do you think that Ireland specifically targeted their mall because of maybe Brodie Retallick and Sam Whitelock being missing, or maybe it's the fact that this New Zealand team? I think it's an average winning margin of about twenty seven points this year per game that you're gonna to have to score points to beat this all blacks team. Where did you think that decision making came from?
1: Well, I think there's element of both. I think that you're right. I think that you know it was it was common, commonly acknowledged that you know you would have to score you would have to score over thirty points possibly over forty points to to beat this all black side because they in turn would have the ability as they did to score twenty or thirty in in a heartbeat i think I think you're right in the other submission, I thought, you know, in, from a New Zealand point of view, and I follow a lot of New Zealand rugby, probably more so than most people over here, because a lot of my friends be still playing and coaching and, and, and family friends and that. It, it's it's the fact that they would say that Vitalik is probably the best, well, he is the best second row in, in, in the world at the moment. He, he's a bit like Paul O'Connell in that sense that he does what they'd say over there, a lot of the Mungle work. So you're right, he does a lot of that tidying up work around the moors. he's... You know, six foot seven. He's a big lump of a man. You know, put him in there with with Whitelock as well, and they did a lot of the hard graft. To allow the All Blacks to play that free-flowing kind of expansive game out wide, you've got to have people that are doing the hard work. What I found with um, Kino was, you're right. He's a natural six. He wants to run with the ball rather than the to do the donkey work, and and they didn't really have it. I wasn't overly impressed by Squires, who, who's come in sort of as a sort of an older-fashioned type of New Zealand players, but I think. I think I was surprised that Steve Hansen didn't see that earlier and, and, and Paul put Kaino to six and, and bring on the second rows or whatever he had up his sleeve and uh, from the bench in that regard because I think once the All Blacks didn't have a line-out game, but in the first half, they, their line-out was more or less non-existent. Every throw was going to the ground. The, the Irish team knew that they really only had Kieran Reed, and by putting Devon Toner down the back of the line-out that restricted a lot of New Zealand's go-forward ball in the middle of the field as well. So I think, yeah, Joe Schmidt, you know, looked at the selection, looked at the fact they were missing two of their talismanic sort of second rows and their hard work as a second rows, and said, right, you know, that's where we're going to play them. New Zealand, on the other hand, foolishly said, okay, I think we can move Ireland around the park at such speed like we did against South Africa we can afford to put a number six into a second row. But it won't be a mistake they'll be making next time. You can guarantee that either the Tulloch might be back for two weeks' time or someone like Romanos or something will come in because they'll need that bit of grunt against Ireland. And they'll have learnt that lesson.
3: Uh, Brent, you spoke about how you focus on a lot of New Zealand rugby. Liam Squire's form for the Highlanders during the Super Rugby yeah. meant that you know many people were looking for him to get included. Do you think he was deserving of that spot going into the match?
1: Yeah, maybe deserving on that on the going into the match. But I, you know, I it's wrong to say because he plays <laughs> he plays for the the, the the team I used to play for, and I mean I know he's a robust sort of rugged sort of player, but I just don't know in the first half, whether he was doing the job that he was set out to do. Um, You know, like, I suppose Kino is just one of these guys that's slightly free-ranging more. You know, he's more likely to take angles out wider than, say, Squires. I think Squires is a kind of a, you know, not the bad way altogether. Is more of a throwback into the kind of, you know, bust a hole somewhere rather than try to, you know, run those kind of lines that, that, that Kaino and, and, and McCaw before him and, and those were sort of running. So, I look, it just was an experiment that backfired. You could, conversely, on another day, you might find, like, against South Africa, Squires comes in, Kaino these guys, and they move them around. But I think that's when they had a lead. I think, you know, once they lost Moody to the bin, they really needed hard workers in that phase, and they didn't have them. have guys want to play ball. But not wanting to really get at the cold face, and I think that Ireland recognised that. And, Ireland, and the Irish pack, they had eight players that were willing to do the, the dirty work, you know, first. And I think once you take the line out of New Zealand's game, also the fact as I mentioned it in the, some of the columns I write last week that you turn the All back back three, you turn the likes of Savia, and these guys around. Not so much Ben Smith, but you turn Savia and. Um, some of these guys around, Niholo. you know, they're not as good. They're not as good chasing ball, you know. Yeah, Nadolo, uh, the big physical players, yes, on the end of the line, they're devastating. But having to track back has proved uh, and to reclaim the ball and kick out, which they weren't particularly good at. They're not used to it. You take the All Blacks out of your comfort zone, and um, that's how you beat them. They did it easily enough, I'd have to say. I was somewhat, I was somewhat disappointed that New Zealand. I don't think fired a shot. I think that's you know, there was no there was no excuses. That it was probably the worst game they had played as far as mistake minds and giving away stupid penalties and dropping ball in key areas. They had a chance here in the second half, of course, to come back. And just when they got in field positions, I think, you know, they knocked the ball on a few times. That was to do with Ireland pressure as well. But it was an uncharacteristic New Zealand performance. And the one thing I'd say about it being over in Chicago, they had no complaints. They were very sportsmanlike. They said the Irish team had fully deserved their win. They had no gripes. So that was good to see as well.
3: Uh, Brent, you spoke about those uncharacteristic mistakes. Players like Squire may be performing better on a different day against South Africa. Do you think those mistakes and the performances of like someone like Liam Squire were they exposed a little bit because of the that huge work rate you were talking about about the Irish pack? Andrew That's Trimble, Andrew Trimble making huge hits. Josh van der Fleer coming on for Jordy Murphy. He was only on for 60 minutes, but he made one less tackle than CJ Standard in 80.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I said, old Jackie Charlton, put them under pressure. You know, you, <laughs> see, you let the you let the All Blacks you let the All Blacks run with the ball. There's no better team in the world. You let the All Blacks pass with the ball. There's no better team in the world. But if you shut them down, and if you force them, as I said, into areas where they haven't particularly trained for, like how do you kind of train for losing matches or being in matches uh, where you're suddenly chasing the game? Uh, they're not used to that. They they used to, they're used to saying, okay, look, it's 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 ten seven and a half time or something. Then we'll just score a bucket load of points in the second half. Then the likes of Ben Smith and Nadola and Ficatour and all these guys can start running with gay abandon. Some passes start to stick. You know, you put them under pressure, and suddenly they they're starting to make mistakes in their own in their own twenty-two and turning over ball and Ireland are kicking downfield intelligently. You know, you start throwaway possession and field position. You know teams have a real chance against the All Blacks. And certainly Warren Gatlin, well, he'll know anyway, but Warren Gatlin would have looked on that and said, you know, that the bulk of the Lions squad, which will come from Ireland if they continue in that vein, it really can have a good go at New Zealand over there next year. Because I think if you start to expose, you know, you're not going to beat them playing ball like the way they play them, but you are going to beat them by doing exactly what Ireland did, putting them under pressure, making them, you know, make... Uncharacteristic mistakes, turning them at every chance with a kick, you know, taking on their scrum and lineup, then then, you know, they proved that they were eminently beatable.
2: You mentioned you had some concerns with the All Black selection and one of the guys that I think particularly that it was it was a big game for him to really get back into the All Black fold was Aaron Smith. He obviously um, went through yeah. yeah, he had the the personal issues in the in the Christchurch airport. Won't get into that. But he T J Paranara in the interim has been very, very good, particularly in the last two games and particularly against South Africa. Came on and he scored a try. Aaron Smith has been, in my opinion, for the last couple of years, has been probably the world's best halfback, but he really had a couple of uncharacteristic errors. There was one particular one where it was a box kick, New Zealand pushing on the 22 and just cheaply gave away possession. How do, you, do you think he's got much of a chance now, given how good Perinara has been of probably reasserting himself in that all-black team, or do you think that he might pave way to TJ now in the, in the future?
1: It's a tough one because New Zealand will always select on form. And, I mean, Aaron Smith, you know, who wouldn't have been dropped before or even taken off the field so early before in any match that he's played, is world-class on his day. Um, But a bit like Will Guinea and these Australian guys before him, he had an off day. Now, that's not helped by off-the-ball incidences, obviously. Uh, You know, it was a slight mistake again. I think, you know, sort that out first because I think that, you know, to throw him in against Ireland, throw him in against Ireland first up, I think was also a bit of a risk. Not because of his ability, but just because psychologically, you know what he's gone through or whatever is, you know, it's taken his mind off the game, it's taken his focus off the game. So that was a mistake. Kinda of the second row to me was a mistake. Also a mistake. I thought playing Savia, uh, and Nodolo on the wings, and I tell you why because I think that they kind of. I think that they disrespected, in a sense... Disrespect's not the right word. I, I just don't think they thought that Ireland would get so much ball. Now, when you're carrying guys like Xavier and Novella, you're carrying two of the same players. You, 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 you're taking, you know, of hard-running, Loma type players. When you put a guy like Ben Smith on the wing and, and maybe an Israel bag at fullback or whatever, they're more secure. I mean, Smith is a superb ball player, and he was one of the players that actually played OK... Uh, in the all-black team. So I just thought there was a couple of mistakes that that that, that uh, Steve Hansen made. I think that he presumed he was going to get a lot more ball at speed or quick ball than he got. And I think there was a breakdown, obviously, in the line-out, so that restricted. You know, I so said, once again, the very fact that putting Turner down the back meant that the New Zealand midfield weren't going to get over the gain line so easily because, of course, ball at the front or in the middle... Either usually has to be mauled first or it has to be put that puts the, the back line on a more kind of, I suppose, a behind the game line play. So I think, you know, one of those players, one of those power players, fine, but I don't think both of them that worked. But again, look, this is all in retrospect. If you've seen that lined out, you would have, you would have worried about Simon Zebo's tackling against those big types of wingers. I mean, he had a great game. I mean, it was the first time I'd say in the history of watching all black matches all my life it's the first time time that I can go through that all-black team and say, OK, re- there really wasn't one outstanding performer, maybe apart from apart from the second row that came on, Barrett.
2: Scott Barrett, um, yeah. Th-
1: th- th- I think that was, um, that was he was the only sort of, I suppose, good deputant Other than that, all the all-blacks were around about sort of four or five on the rating, three or four on the rating. Whereas if you look, converse at the Irish team, you had to say, my God, like there wasn't one person that didn't put their hand up. Not one. You know, you've been fighting for man of the match awards between, cause you know Conor Murray and Robbie Henshaw and you know Payne. A number of these players, you know, Van der Fly, you like, you know, you name them. They could have all won player of the match award. But so it was just they were just completely outplayed. The almost were completely outplayed on the day by just about everybody in a green shirt.
2: We'll touch on on the Irish team in a second, Brent, but I did want to bring up a point there that you made, which I find very interesting, which is just in terms of the wingers. Um, we've had you on before about Jonah, and, and really the only weakness oh. you said Jonah had in this game was if you could make him turn and you could make him you know, oh. retrieve kicks while he got up ahead of steam, top speed, absolutely devastating. But if you could get him in that, it was an area you could exploit in, in kicking in behind. And you mentioned there, it seems to be a trend within New Zealand that a lot of the guys that get into the wingers will be these big, powerful, ball-bustling tackles um maybe not so great at, at, at kicking the ball, maybe not so great at, at, at turning around and, and regathering kicks. Um, do you think that's one area maybe of New Zealand rugby and it's particularly with Joe Smith who we know is almost like a mad scientist in terms of yeah. how he how he breaks down play how he breaks down analysis that maybe that's an area and we've seen it particularly at the end with Julian Savia. there was a chance where he could have booted the ball but he, he dummied and you know he, he got tackled it in goal Alan get a scrum Robbie Henshaw scores a try seals off the game that that maybe that kick retrieval is a particular area while the All Blacks don't really have any massive strength so New Zealand rugby as a whole doesn't seem to have any glaring strengths. maybe that's one area that more opposition Teams can target them in.
1: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's always been an area. And once again, as I say, because they haven't been tested too many times in that area, that is the way to beat them. Now, again, you know, if you stacked in, if you stacked even Barrett back to fullback, and you went with Aaron. Uh, sorry, yeah, Ben. I mean, Ben Smith's a superb player, multi-skilled, playing the centres, playing the wing, good kicker of the ball, good fullback, good counter attacker. You know, you can put him. You can put him on the wing as well. You can have somebody like Israel Dagg, who again is, is a better kicker and also a better fielder of the ball. You know, if I was playing against Saby, you know, like I, that, that's exactly what I would do. I would, I would, you know, even running up to him, I wouldn't take him on the tackle. I'd chip kick him. I'd, I'd put the grubber in behind him because they just don't like going back and fielding balls. I'm not particularly good on the ground either, in the sense of sliding back, getting back up regaining a feet and then moving on. Um, he's not a great kicker of the ball. Nodolo is not a great kicker of the ball. Um, so exactly that. I mean, I think it is a, a little area of concern for New Zealand rugby in the sense that, you know, especially the Polynesian-based players or the Māori players are all these physical, strong, aggressive specimens who like to get the ball on the hand with the hand, but aren't particularly good in a defensive role. And, I mean, Lomu was the same. I mean, maybe the greatest player that ever played the game. I mean, the way to the way have uh, uh, played against Jonah was uh, was always the same as the way the South Africans did in the in the, in the World Cup final was keep nudging the ball in behind him because as a big guy, naturally, it's harder to get down and get on the ball and get back up again and make any ground. And you're right. I mean, so they are there. So they are there when he In fact, he took the worst of three options because... Option one was to kick to safety, which he he didn't think he could do going back, clearly. Option B was, I thought, take off to the open field where maybe his speed could have actually got him outside and got him back up to the halfway. Or C, he took the option was like to just aimlessly go back into your dead ball line and do what? Run out with it. That's what his intentions were. He didn't, he didn't even look to get onto to a kicking foot. But I think it is a worry, and I think it's an, it's an area they'll look at, and I think it's certainly in an area that... that, that selectively, selectively Hanson would look at for Ireland now because he would have seen that Ireland's aerial game was good. Their kicking game was good. So, you know, Zebo went up once, took a magnificent kick in the air. Rob Kearney was superlative, you know, for the first time maybe the season. Had a great game, you know, was safe with everything. Sexton's kicking was good. Carvey come on, his kicking was good. So, kick and chase, Ireland were very strong. Kick and chase, New Zealand were weak.
3: Brent, uh, while we're on the subject of those big boys you were talking about in the wing... The Ireland team versus Canada has just been announced, and Peter O'Malley and Sean O'Brien are returning to the team. Would you? Many people would expect them to walk back into this Ireland team, but after the performances of Stander and Van der Flair at the weekend, would you be bringing them back into this uh, into this no. Irish team?
1: Absolutely not. I, 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 can, I don't think. I would be surprised if Joe Schmidt does because. You've got to look at the message. that You've got to listen to the message to stand there. I I presume Paddy Jackson's a 10, is he? Yeah,
3: it's Paddy Jackson, yeah. Kieran Marmion and Jack O'Donoghue who's actually starting at number eight.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I think that it was the same as people talk about Paddy Jackson. I think that Joe Schmidt has proved to be a very loyal coach. And, and what I mean is that he would have gone back to South Africa and said, okay, yes, Carby came on and did a great job at, 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 at you know, somewhat seamlessly fitting into that, into that side and actually closed the game off sort of unnervously for a young man. But what Joe Smith looked at and said, OK, well, you know, Jackson had such a good uh, tournament in South and stepped in when Johnny Sexton went away, then, you know, then he deserves to start and show what he can do. He'd say the same about Sean O'Brien, Peter O'Mahony, saying, OK, look, OK, they're just coming back. But, you know, how could you drop? I mean, you yeah, I know it's horses for courses, and I get that. But, but, I mean, how could you drop that back row that played against the Allbacks? You couldn't. You couldn't go in and say to CJ Stanov, look, you know, you were great, but, you know, I think uh, we've got to have Sean back in there now. No, you couldn't. I, I think that, that he'll play them off the bench, and that's a great option for him to have. But I would be surprised, knowing Joe, I would be surprised that he will make uh, any changes in that team unless they were forced through injury. I think that he'd say, look, OK, you have the ability and the self-belief and the confidence and the team to beat the, the the best team in the world. Why would I tinker with that? You know, it's not broken, so don't even try to fix it. And then have the likes of, you know, that's looking a pretty strong bench now. You've got the likes of Keane Healy. You've got the likes of Omani, O'Brien, uh, these guys to come back. Henderson, maybe at a later stage, you know, to be in a situation where, bang, you can come, off the all, you can come up the All Blacks and... 10 minutes to go. I mean, they'll fear that. I mean, there's a real there's a real chance. Everybody's already saying now, it just shows you, you know, you can go from one to the other. Everybody's saying to me now already, ah, oh, you know, we'll get a backlash now and it was a great win and that's fine, but now we'll, we'll cough up 30 points on and we'll cough up 30 or 40 points against New Zealand. I, I don't believe that. I think that, I don't think that the All black side, regardless of what they have without some of their key players back, I don't think they have the ability to put those many points on this Irish team playing where they are. I mean, a couple of years ago, yes, maybe, but I don't think so now. I think this Irish team has real confidence. He's got a strong bench. Um, you know, if they play to any way of their ability, they can have a real chance of turning the All over, you know, two games in a row. Why not?
3: Brent, That it's really refreshing to hear someone speak about that because, you know, as Irish people, we're normally very timid about looking to the future. And for someone to not pick these names like Sean O'Brien and, and Peter O'Malley to put straight into that team, All right, so. You are confident about Ireland meeting the All Blacks again at Lansdowne Road?
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I, like, sometimes it's hard being a flyer in Ireland because you're damned, you do damned if you don't. You know what I mean? When when I was talking to people, you know, as I would have said to you, I was talking to you last week. I mean, people turned around on, on, on sort of Saturday night at the match said, oh, you've got to eat humble pie now. And I said, hang on a bit. I said, you know, we've got <laughs> 111 years where they've not beaten them, you know, like... You're not going to turn around and say, "Okay, this is a done deal," and it wasn't a done deal. And no. I, I, you know, I would criticize people that that, that support teams like that and say, "Oh, well, you, you know, we always believe that they win." Of course, of course, they have a chance. There's a different word, you know. People say, oh, "Do you believe Owen were going to win last week?" I said, "Do they have a chance to win?" <laughs> yes. When two people when two people go into a field, you've always a chance. I said, they said, "Do you think they win? I said, "No," and I gave them reasons why, and I still stick by that. But what I say now is, for the same reasons, I said, once you've got that once you've got that monkey or a gorilla that was starting to be off your back, well, then, you know, you've every belief. I know what Josh's mentality will be, and it will be very Kiwi. It'll be, it'll be if you have the ability to beat the best team on the, in the world, and we're talking about a team that was going for, for, for a record number, of, a, a continuing record number of wins. If you can do that this week, then why can't you do it every week? And what he'll be trying to say to those guys playing the Canadian match is, hey, you know, there's a standard that has been set. We're not going to come back for this. The likes of New Zealand, Australia, South Africa teams would be ruthless against a side like Canada. Let's not go back to the old days where Ireland turned around and beat, you know, Australia some one week and then go out and struggle against Samoa or Romania the following week. And that's been their trend in World Cups, if you look at it. They've they've done really well against the big teams, got carried away and then come back down to the following week. But I think this is a different team. I think it's a different mentality. I think it started in... South Africa, when Joe Smith said to a lot of the second-string players, hey, you've got your chance. Let's go to South Africa and win a series. He should have won that series. He's now said the same to a number of players against the All Blacks. Hey, you go out and prove that you deserve to be there. They've done that. So why would you turn around as a coach and say, look, okay, you gave me everything last week. You know, thanks very much, uh, Simon, or whatever. But now, you know, I'm going to pick someone to come back on the win. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't do it. I, well, I wouldn't do it. Um, you know, of course, he's not taking any notice of what I say, but that's fine. But I, I would say, look, okay.
2: No, we you know, do. These
1: players have proved what they can do. So, you know, the other players have got to pay their way back in. You know, that's it.
2: We, we do take notice of what you say, Semper, uh, say Brent, We uh, it, it's specifically why we got you on, to get your insight on, on stuff like this. And particularly, if you do have time, I'd like to ask you two more questions yeah. just about, um, in terms of your mentality as being a coach. We know you used to coach in the AIL with yeah. Clon Taff. And the, you brought up an interesting point there which, which breached the subject of loyalty. And particularly, in maybe some sections of the Irish media and some section of the Irish fan psyche, there's this perception that Joe Smith is very loyal to his guys, particularly his ex-Leinster guys with the Heineken Cup now I was listening to Clive Woodward going back a couple of weeks ago um, he was talking about the 2005 Lions tour and he said in hindsight he was probably too loyal to a lot of his English guys he probably picked too many that were probably past their peak and maybe it had some something to do with the Lions getting absolutely trottled in 2005 down in New Zealand Schmidt seems like a guy that very much analyzes every single team and is particularly in New Zealand. He had great success three years ago in the Aviva Stadium where they only lost by three points. He had great success on the weekend. There's guys like Rob Carney that particularly I would have thought as a guy coming into that game, probably the worst performing fullback in Irish rugby. He was very surprised he made the plane, let alone the starting team. Played very well, had his best game all year, saw it under the high ball, as you said, where do you think Schmidt draws in that line? Do you buy into anything that maybe Schmidt is too loyal to his Lancaster guys? Or maybe like on the weekend with Kearney, maybe there is a very specific purpose for every single player that's picked Absolutely. on that
1: team. Absolutely. The second rather than the first. You know, look, like, I mean, I think... I think Look, Josh was not scared. Josh was not scared to make the changes. He's not scared to make the changes against the All Blacks if he felt that. If he turned around and said, hold on, yeah, you know, I need, you know... I need a certain type of player in a certain type of position, And unfortunately, like he's ruthless enough in, in, in the sense that, unfortunately, to say, look, OK, you know, it is horses, of course. And while you play brilliantly against New Zealand, I just think, you know, they've picked this type of player. They've picked, say, Ben Smith on the wing. I think we need a trip from Clive Defender. Absolutely. But I, do, I don't think he will. But I think that he does sit down and analyse. He does, He's not loyal just for the sake of it. You know, and there's, yes. there's a difference. Woodward was loyal for the sake of it, you know. He's now looking at a situation where the greatest coaches in the world, you know, you go back to to, to Lombardi and all these guys at at, at American football and at basketball coaches, the greatest coach, even Steve Hansen, you know, who who is a great all-black coach and twice World Cup winner. It's a situation where they know individually what they can get out of a player. Joe Schmidt would have said, you know what, I don't really care to a certain degree what he's doing for Leinster. You know, I know what I can get out of Robert, I know what he needs to do for me. And that's the same as when and they were in South Africa last year. He said, I don't care what some of these guys have done for Ulster. They haven't done. I know that they fulfill a role for me, and that is why they're being selected. So he doesn't really take into account form, you know, otherwise. Otherwise, a lot of the times, he would have been too scared, maybe even to risk Carver, even on the bench. A lot of people would have said, oh, hold on, this guy has had a couple of games for Leinster. He saw something in the al AAL final last year that, that yes. promoted him quickly into the A situation. Same as he's seen young Levy, same as O'Donovan needs guys. He sees that they can do a specific role, and he selects them. If they, he's probably got a New Zealand mentality back from his days coaching there in the sense that, okay, you know, you give every you give every player a chance to have maybe an off day, and then you maybe replace them. He's looked at that team, this Irish team, and he said, to "Rob Carney, hey, you did more than." You did more than I could have asked. After you, you know, he obviously went to Payne because Payne knew the knew the the centre partnership he played against the New Zealanders to the Crusaders. He knew them, so he knew he'd be able to defend with them. And Jared Payne, whatever you think about, you know, maybe not being the the, the answer as far as counter attack ballers, he's a brilliant organizer and communicator in the middle of the field. He's also a New Zealander, so he would have known how to defend uh, against players that he knew personally. So. You know, take that out of the loop. Who now look at Canada? Who look at the likes of Ringrose? I presume Ringrose is, is is selected in the, in the that outside centre, isn't he? Yeah,
3: yeah. Ringrose starting at thirteen as well. Yeah,
2: yeah. You
1: mentioned yeah, so he'll have a look at that. He'll have a look at that, and he'll have, he'll have a look and, 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 and see. Well, look, could we? Is there a situation where we could probably, you know, unleash him against a different type of wall back, back line. I just don't think you think. I don't think you. You can shred the confidence of a team that played so well by by changing players. I, and I would be very surprised. Yes, I know there would be maybe a call for some players. I'd be very surprised if he changes that. I just think he'll say, look, you know, you did a great job for me. You rewarded my loyalty by performing. You know, you run a huge risk of sending out a message to players, younger players, that regardless of how well you play, you're not playing next week. There's a, there's a thin line to be walked there between keeping guys in the panel, you've now got Sean O'Brien absolutely busting to try to get into that team, absolutely knowing that they have to be outstanding against Canada to even be considered. And that's a great squad position to have, and that's what he has at the moment.
2: As he should be. Competition absolutely will push that team to, to, to new levels. But one thing I did want to kind of touch on briefly, and lastly from me, is just on... You've been around rugby for a long, long time, but as a coach, as a player... The culture in rugby is vitally is probably more important than in, in most sports. It really does set a tone in terms of building a team. This All Blacks team has been absolutely sensational over the last 10, 12 years. Really, really fantastic. And and there's been a lot of things that contributed to that. I was even reading in Dan Carter's book, you know, the importance of the jersey. You know, Anton Oliver getting back into the team after losing the jersey and all the All Blacks being moved. Him crying and getting his All Blacks jersey back because it just means that much to a lot of the players. The team, it's after coming off an 18-win streak, as a coach and looking at Steve Hansen and Wayne Smith and what they've been able to establish there, how have they been able to create these goals, which is seemingly impossible, not just become the best team in rugby, the best team in world sport, how have they been able to probably get the players to buy into this belief that they can really achieve things that no other team in rugby, no other all-black team or international team full stop has really ever achieved?
1: Because it's part of what Joe Schmidt is doing now, believe it or not. It's part, of, it's part of providing a winning culture. You know, when you pull on the black jersey, you know, it's, it's cliche and it's easy to say and it's not the answer to everything because you've got to have rugby IQ and intelligence. But of primarily, primarily, if you go back to the basics of New Zealand, is that you play, you play to the type of intensity and commitment and focus that Ireland played last week. And you set that out, and you say, "Look, there are the other standards. We don't drop them. Yes, they dropped them last week, and they will have had a sit down and say, Okay, You know, I felt I felt there was somewhat of a bit of a relief from Steve Hanson and these guys. I just got that kind of—I know Steve mm. well enough. I just got that kind of feeling that—that that, okay, you know, we were going to lose to someone. You know, we're glad, it, we're glad it came from a spirit of performance where we didn't actually deserve to win. They—I wouldn't have thought they wanted to be there saying, oh, geez, he dropped the ball over the line three or four times.' and you know, that was it. So they just said, okay, that that's the end of an era now. You know, it's not, unlike, it's not unlike the last time they held that record, you know, which was the 16 games. So now they just have to restart again and rebuild. And it may be a situation that Steve Hansen starts looking at a few other players back in New Zealand and starts saying, okay, look, this is the way that they need to be played. But essentially, the culture is that, you know, that you're only, a bit like the Munster culture when it was successful, but you're only minding the all-black jersey, the fern, for a while. And that and that there is always somebody ready to take it, always somebody to, to, willing to play better than you, so you're kind of holding it. And when you get that mentality, it's quite difficult because it's the same mentality that this Irish team has just after that victory. It's the kind of sense that now, OK, you're even seeing Sean O'Brien writing in the paper today, he was gutted watching that match, having to come back from Leinster, you know, gutted, because he wasn't part of that scene. You know, a few years ago, you might have been sitting on the plane coming back from Leinster and saying, oh, you know what, I'm glad I wasn't involved. You know, Ireland got hockey there, so jeez, I'm lucky I wasn't involved in that. I'm quite happy to be back at Leinster. And we always heard sometimes when Ireland didn't perform at World Cups or whatever that the players were quite happy to go back to their provinces because they had a different culture. The Irish players that went back to Leinster when Leinster were winning Heineken Cups often said, oh, God, we couldn't wait back to get to a winning culture. You know, the Munster players years ago, when they went back to Munster team, were winning despite losing an Ireland we're quite happy to go back to that. So that's just the difference. And Joe Schmidt has created that and that's why he'll be he'll be very upset if Ireland just win against Canada. I'm not being arrogant here and saying that they that they take that for granted. No they don't. But you need to have that mentality now, that all back mentality where you say, Okay, look, Canada are, are, are a B ranked side we go out and we put forty points on. Simple as that. You know, job done. That's the type of mentality that Joe Schmidt is trying to get into this Irish team. And it's a, they kind of came come of age, and 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 also a lot of Irish sport come of age because I think there's always been something, and it's not a criticism of Irish sport but because I know where you've come from in a sense that, you know, I suppose it's been that it's been that 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 the underdog tag, you know, look, OK, you know, let's give a rattle, let's beat this. You know, that's been changing over the years and the likes of Sonia O'Sullivan and Roy Keane, whether you support them or not, and, you know, Keith Wood and, and, and Brian O'Driscoll and O'Connell, they've all started saying, no, we're not just here to make up the numbers anymore. We're here to win. And, and that's it. And, and that's the culture that this Irish team has now. Now, hopefully, hopefully that can continue to a World Cup situation where, Joe Schmidt needs he knows he needs consistency of performance and he knows that he needs to have two teams going to Japan that can play equally as well on any given day because to win a World Cup you've got to go through what you know four or five six games you know where you have the same level of consistency so that so so his his benchmark is right now you played like that the the next guy step up you put the pressure on against Canada we go and we beat the All Blacks again we beat Australia we win the Grand Slam, we win the World Cup. That's the way he's thinking. You know, OK, it's reach for the stars thinking, but that's what Joe Schmidt will be thinking. He's not hanging around to the end of the World Cup for the sake of it or for the money. He's not about that. He's about, do I have an Irish team that could possibly win a World Cup? And, yeah, why not?
3: Uh, that was just incredible. Like, you get it, The emotion just comes back in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a terrific, terrific weekend of rugby. And like he said at the very start, there was absolutely no reason why Ireland should have won that game going into it. No. But you talked about someday we'd we'd think about think about winning the game and you know, maybe the lead up would be we'd we'd beat England in Twickenham and South Africa would come to Ireland and, and we'd beat them, then Australia Paul O'Connell's son would, would eventually on his debut come into the team and then we'd beat New Zealand. But to come into them in their run of form and us off the back of a pretty disappointing series loss to South Africa it was just it was all the it was all the more special for that.
2: I mean, you, you get a New Zealander talking about rugby, you kind of expect that. But Brent, Brent can really go there, can't he? he? was he was very much. He's always insightful to talk to, and and just I think New Zealanders have a different kind of view on on rugby. And and I was really interested in talking to Brent as a as a former coach, and just the culture setting, and just about Ireland. You know, possibly going with with, with two teams and a real attack minded going for this World Cup, and this World Cup has always plagued us for years. You know, we, we beat Australia in twenty eleven, then we lose in the quarter final. Two thousand seven, we don't even make it through the group stages. Yeah. Last year, you, we we get to the quarter final against Argentina, a team that we've beaten. We beat France in the group stages, and we kind of crumble. So I think it's it's very much depends on getting to the tournament at that stage. But I, I think Joe Smith is you have to have. Your hats off to them. I mean, because we've won, we've won three games this year. We beat South Africa once, and we've wins over Scotland and Italy in the in the Six Nations. So it's it's you know to, from from the goal to that to winning this game and and even with that notion that Brent touched on briefly there with the terms of loyalty with Rob Carney Rob Carney had a really spectacular game, and a number of players really took a hold. Ty Furlong and Jack McGrath, first opportunity they've had alongside each other. I know they played a lot of club level. They played one test in South Africa with each other. They've really probably taken that that one and three jersey respectively. I think McGraw already did, I and mean, Furlong has definitely owns that that tie head position now. So and Connor Murray as well, Johnny Sexton exceptional the guys that really stood up. Jo- Jamie Heaslip, Robbie Henshaw, particularly combining it together you're, on that You're running run.
3: through the entire team sheet here. Jack. They really had it a game. team. Uh, it's
2: it's the best performance they've had in, in years. Definitely, um, Tyg Furlong. i currently Murray
1: works we'll it, it, it away.
2: Sexton gets it away scores
0: am a man. I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm a man. i, and it. It. I, I,
1: I and a man. I'm a
2: i having a run i to get a
1: we've got so close so many times so many brilliant players of the heartache i think the captain this group of unbelievable lads and unbelievable players to make history with the support we got here it really did feel like a second home
0: now we're joining studio now with ian mckinley formerly of leinster and ireland and now playing in italy uh ian thanks very much for coming us no problem uh firstly can you just give us a run through of your injury what actually happened to you in the beginning
4: so in 2010 I was playing a club game for UCD and um, at the bottom of a ruck uh, after about the second minute of the game I was on my back and unfortunately a teammate uh stood stood on my eyeball and it perforated my my eye so it was a, wasn't pretty
0: <laughs> And you you were left with uh damage to your eye to the extent where you couldn't you couldn't play at such a young age it must've been frustrating for you
4: Yeah it was very very difficult and uh it sort of uh, in the interim ch- changes your life uh, for certainly a few months uh, in terms of driving, in terms of pouring uh, a glass of water. Uh, your peripheral vision is sort of skewed, but eventually you get that back and uh, everything is okay now, thankfully.
0: And just a, f- a few years down the line, and you get a call to go over to Italy, can you just uh, give us a run through how that actually came about?
4: Yeah, so apart from playing I always wanted to be a coach and I got a call from my former academy manager who said there's a job opportunity in Italy, would you like to take it as a, as a coach? And I jumped at the opportunity, uh, went to a city called Udine and worked there for two very successful years teaching children
0: and adults. And how, how did you find the coaching in comparison to, to playing?
4: Yeah, well obviously with the language barrier it was quite difficult at the start so you you use your hands more than uh, talking uh, at the start or shouting uh, which they they generally understood um, but uh, certainly a, a completely different culture in how the the game is approached and uh, but that's how you learn and uh, it was it's certainly interesting to see a different different viewpoint on the game.
3: Uh, Ian, how was it what was it like moving from an environment like Leinster to to going to somewhere like Italy where there is a language barrier and coaching and then moving into playing.
4: It's very very frustrating. Actually, is the 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 first word I would I would use because you can't get your point across as, as clearly as you would you would want it. Um, but uh, thankfully, I'm fluent now in that language. So I look back now as, as uh, I look back at that experience with huge positivity because now I can speak it and uh, they they know my uh, full feelings if they don't do an <laughs> exercise well. So it's
0: and worked out. C- coming through the ranks, you came through the ranks with, with uh, Lancaster. Did they help you at all uh, through your journey? After uh, the injury. After the injury. Yeah, a
4: huge amount. They kept kept in contact with me. They let me coach various teams or even with the academy, they would send me on the schedule of what they were doing and any time I wanted to, would pop in and just learn from what they were doing or anything anything that had developed from when I stopped playing.
0: And uh, when what, what made you want to go back to rugby after the injury, after a few years down coaching? What made you actually want to go back to playing rugby? Uh,
4: unfinished business and... F- when I think for any sports person, no matter what discipline they're doing, I think when you're told you can't do it, it's always the hardest thing to, to take. Whereas you always want to go on your own your own terms. So to to stop playing at 21 was far too young, and uh, no, thankfully it's it's all worked out.
0: And now you know we're protective goggles for your eyes. Uh, can you just tell us a story of how these goggles came around?
4: Yeah. So um, World Rugby were initially. Uh, had a project in, in the pipeline with, with protective goggles we wanted to speed up the process and we got in contact with the NCAD design project uh, or the sector over there in, in NCAD and there was a, a student who was willing to drop his end of year project to concentrate on possibly uh, making a design for rugby goggles and um, luckily through the, the work of World Rugby and through the, the students work the, the the final product of the goggles came through
0: and you fa- you finally got back to playing uh, rugby professionally how did it feel to actually get back to the game that you loved
4: yeah well when i first started out i was playing very much amateur rugby the level was not not particularly high but it was just a fantastic feeling just to to run around and to feel protected feel protected as well with the goggles was nice and now that i'm back playing full time professional rugby it's uh it's certainly a rollercoaster of emotions, but I'm I'm thrilled to be taking the ride. <laughs>
0: and uh, you you had some trouble initially with some uh, some of the world uh, rugby unions, particularly the RFU, uh, to allow you to play with these goggles. Um, was that frustrating at any point?
4: Yeah, of course, because I I played a game for Zebre against a Welsh team in Italy, and uh, this was a couple uh, last year, I should say, and two two weeks later, I wasn't permitted to play a game against Connacht in Ireland so that was obviously very difficult so we set up all this uh, online petition Uh, the online petition works and uh, thankfully the IRFU and we're very grateful that they they changed their, their mind on this
3: You've uh, you've since had the chance to return to Ireland yes. with uh, Treviso at the ODS. You talked about a rollercoaster for emotions. What was it like returning to
4: the ODS? Yeah, well, even even previously, I, I played a game actually up in Ulster uh, for Zebrae. but uh, obviously this game was a lot closer to to yeah. the heart playing in Leinster. Uh, honestly, the first thing was a huge disappointment because we lost and we had the, we had the opportunity to actually win that yeah. game. Um, but when you reflect further and you look back uh, down the line you realize the magnitude of the achievement to get to get to that place mm-hmm. so um i was humbled by the the humbled by the reaction i got from the crowd when i came on uh, it was just disappointing we couldn't finish the game and at the end of the day that was my job to finish off the game mm-hmm. but we we didn't do it but uh uh, it's certainly a memory that I will never, never, ever forget.
3: Speaking about that reception, of course, professional athlete, it's all about results, but coming back, what was the reception even like off former teammates who you played with?
4: Yeah, well, it was, it was sort of also surreal because uh, probably the best game I've ever had for Leinster was against Treviso in the RDS, so it was very sort of surreal situation to be playing on the opposite, the opposite team. Um, but no, I mean guys on the opposition are very professional as well they you know they're focused on their jobs so you don't you know you just got the occasional tap just yeah. say how are you and then you're just <laughs> straight into the game and then after the game just a quick hello and then you yeah. scoot off back to your hotel and you're you're away back back to your country so earlier
3: you spoke about the you know the frustrations with the language coming back in the, the goggles coming apart um there's now a new element—a small Irish contingent over in Italy. You're playing for Treviso, where Tommaso Allen, an Italian international, is playing. What kind of confidence is it starting for Treviso when there are other options like that?
4: Well, I think uh, first thing is that our our coach is uh, Kieran Crowley is a very, very, very competent coach, and um, he's very good to the players. If you if you have a performance or have consistency of performance he'll reward that so um, no I'm just happy I just need I remember after the Leinster game a reporter asked me you know you're eligible for Italy and you'll play international rugby soon hopefully and I said well do you know after this game tonight uh, how many games I've played in the Pro 12 and he didn't know the response and the answer was uh, 10 I think it was Okay. so from my debut in 2009 till uh, a return to the RDS in 2016 uh I'd only played 10 games which is not a lot and not a lot of minutes so you need to be playing consistently um, to have any sort of momentum going into any or even thinking about uh, playing at a higher level but uh, no it's good and Tommy's a very very good player and we feed off well off each other he started at the start of the year I've been lucky enough to get a few string of games in and you know, you never know what, what way it's going to go, you just need to keep working and keep trusting your, your instincts and just
0: keep and, going. And uh, ju- just in terms of the, the rugby culture, what, what are the key differences between club rugby in Italy and Ireland? Uh, well you have to
4: remember in, in Italy it's the tenth sport so soccer rules, rules everything over there um, I think the the, it certainly has a culture. Treviso has the biggest culture, rugby culture in Italy, and and has a respected rugby culture within Europe. But it's just it's 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 different atmospheres. It's different. Uh, they have different ways of looking at rugby. It's more forward orientated, more so you say bash bash instead of maybe looking for space. So it's certainly certainly different from that that point of view.
0: And you mentioned that uh, somebody asked you about being eligible to play for Italy. Uh, Ireland pulled off one of the greatest victories of their history uh, last week against New Zealand. Some of your former teammates would have been playing it. What did you make of the game?
4: Well, I mean, it's fairy tale stuff. It's it's uh, it's what you grow up to, to do to have those magic magical moments. And those guys certainly that I that I would have played with deserve everything they they get for all their hard work and. Um, I've been lucky enough to, to just have one year under Joe Schmidt, but he's uh, just a fantastic coach, and he deserves everything he gets as well through all his hard work. So it's just it's a it's a fantastic result. Um, but rest assured, they won't they won't be fully satisfied unless they can put in a performance against New Zealand in two weeks' time. So that's I think that's the ultimate test for them is is to go at them again, uh, and I think it's a. Perfect opportunity for them to to make more history.
3: Yeah, in uh, Italy are actually playing New Zealand this weekend mm-hmm. uh, under the uh, the management of Connor O'Shea. Mm-hmm. What have uh, what have your teammates made of of Connor O'Shea coming over into Italy?
4: Yeah, he's very much in comparison to, to maybe previous coaches. He's very hands on okay. in terms of uh, his um, presence at training, both for Zebre and, and Treviso. Um, certainly brings a huge amount of calmness. I can't. Uh, I have never been under one of his teams so I can't talk about him hugely but just from the, the small amount that I've seen mm-hmm. from him he's uh, he's uh, very calm and assured and uh, I think Italy will uh, and he's even said it himself you're not going to see benefits straight away I think it's impossible after you know a few months been in the job you're not going to see results straight away these things take time with infrastructure and um and players, but definitely Italy will be a force again in rugby with his guidance, and that's guaranteed.
3: That that reporter in the ODS asked you about international rugby. You're racking up a few more minutes with uh, Treviso. Uh, Conor O'Shea is at the helm. With the fate that these teams like Zebri and Treviso have put in you, is there a desire to maybe repay that with someone like Conor O'Shea if he, if he ever gave you the call?
4: Yeah, I mean... As a, as a as a as a professional sports person you want to test yourself against the best yep. in the world you want to reach the highest level that you can uh that you that you can reach personally um so I would be very foolish to to turn that away but I have to get get to that stage yep. first and for me again um i don't think i think um I need to merit a lot more. In term, more minutes, yeah, and yeah, but play consistently for me is just the key thing because it's all well and good maybe having a couple of games well played well for Leinster and then a couple of games for Treviso. That's the easy thing to do, but it's your consistency in the game that that gets you those games. Um but uh, as I said I'm I'm from from where I was considering I was <laughs> retired 3 years ago to yeah. where I am now, it's a it's a pretty good jump. So um yeah, you just you just keep on going. Yeah.
0: And uh you're you're only 26 now. Still have a long career ahead of you. Do you ever think that you might return to Ireland to play club club rugby?
4: Um it's a good question. Um I don't really know certainly my life has been based in Italy for the last little while. Um again that just comes under performance I really think because the top provincial teams if you look at the the talent that's uh, at their disposal now uh it, the majority of it is young Irish talent, which is fantastic to see. So I would certainly have my work cut out if I ever did come back. You never say never in sport, but I'm very much happy over over in my adopted country.
0: are hey, calling all over me I have been hanging, hey, shaking, they're calling all over me. back in New Zealand. They're a quality side and I think it probably it shows how good they are, how important this win was to us.